In this episode, Raksita Kapachi, CFO at Dawn Capital, shares her insights into her role at one of Europe's premier venture capital firms, the systems and tools she has put in place to deliver an agile and responsive finance function, and how she creates high-performing teams anchored in a culture of mutual respect, diversity, and inclusion. Hi, I'm Rob, and this is the CFO Playbook. Each week, you'll get insights from world-class finance leaders to help you grow your company and yourself and face the challenges required of today's finance leaders. Raxita, welcome and thanks for being on the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here too. We always start with the same question. Raxita, what is your role? I am CFO of Dawn Capital. Dawn is a venture capital fund, so we currently have our billion dollars under management. We invest in B2B tech software technology. Our particular geography focus is in Europe. What led you to to joining Dawn? What attracted you to Dawn Capital and and to working for for a VC firm? Well, I've been working in private equity for a long time now, for over 15 years. After private equity, I had a stint out actually into industry where I worked for a fintech group. We IPO'd that. So that was very, you know, that was a very interesting and, you know, something that was um, I hadn't done before. So it was, you know, another sort of, I guess, um, toolkit, you know, uh, armory to my being a CFO. And I learned a great deal about IPOs and and the, and the fintech world, but I my passion was always been in uh, private equity venture capital. Actually, I was approached by a number of, of VC firms to be their CFO, and I was particularly attracted to Dawn. The people are great at Dawn. You know, they're really down to earth. They really you know work well with their founders. They understand the businesses very well. They are sector focused, so they're knowledgeable in their B2B software technology. Plus, I really like the culture at Dawn. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we now have more women than men <laughs> working at Dawn. So that, you know, diversity and inclusion really came through. We are proven to do that. You know, the results show that. In your role as CFO, could you describe a little bit more into what's a day in the life of, uh, of a CFO at a VC firm? So we're required to report quarterly to our investors, and this entails obtaining financial data and KPIs from our portfolio companies. We then perform valuations and produce a quarterly report to our investors. So this quarterly you know, reporting takes over, spans over a couple of months. In addition to the quarterly reporting, we also prepare monthly management accounts for the board. My typical week comprises of weekly Monday morning meetings with my team, and throughout the week, we'll have regular catch-ups. Aside from the monthly and quarterly reporting aspect, there's no typical week or month. The finance team could be busy on a number of things, ranging from supporting deals, supporting other investment team on investments and exits, We get involved with the regulatory compliance, tax and VAT issues. There are quite a lot of investor queries that we have. Obviously, as being a CFO, you have to keep on top of cash flow management, budgeting and forecasting. And then there's various other operational matters to deal with. If we're fundraising, then that's particularly large work stream that I'll be involved in. 
My week and month also comprises working with everyone across the firm. So the general partners, the office manager, and then I have a lot of um, external facing people to deal with, lawyers, auditors, tax advisors, the banks. So yeah, it's a, it's a very full on, full on role. And I guess there's no real, real typical week or month, I can say. Clearly a very varied role as well. And are there any particular differences between the role of a CFO and the day-to-day and responsibilities of, of a CFO and, and, the, and the finance function as a whole within a VC firm compared to industry CFOs and finance functions in companies within industry? Yes and no. Yeah, I mean, there is quite a lot of difference in the sense that when you've got a product or a, a business, you know, you are really dealing with, you don't have contractual revenues, whereas in VC and private equity, your fees are generally contractual fees, you know, for the next five years to 10 years, you know, revenue is is, is a given almost. But in a business, you're constantly, you know, having to monitor the revenue, the product and how it's selling. Cash flow management is a very big thing in business, whereas in the VC private equity, you can manage your cash flows very easily. In the VC world, though, there's lots of regulatory aspects to the job. You know, you, you're typically regulated by the FCA and there'll be other regulations to contend with, whether it's European regulations or UK regulations as well. The focus, I mean, our customers are really our, our limited partners and also our portfolio companies, whereas in a business, obviously the customer base is the people buying your product or services. So, yes, there's lots of differences, but essentially, you know, the role of the CFO and the output will be fairly similar. And that relates to the quarterly reporting in, in, in the main in terms of the metrics that you're looking at. Could you describe those in a bit more detail? You mentioned revenue, you mentioned cash flow, but you know, when, you, when you're reporting out quarterly, what metrics do you keep an eye on? So what's important to the LPs? They want to know why we've invested in a particular company. And then they want to know metrics around that to see how that company's performing. So what we'll produce in the quarterly pack is an overall value of the portfolio companies. So we'll do an evaluation of our portfolio companies every quarter and we'll track the valuations so that the LPs can see how the portfolio companies are performing. And just quickly for, uh, for the audience, LPs? Oh, limited partners. That's the management team. Uh, that's our investors, sorry. So yeah. The investors within the fund that is managed by Dawn. Yeah, exactly. That's correct. Yeah, so the investors will provide us with the capital to make these investments. And so the investors want to know how the portfolios are performing and we will prepare valuations for them. And then underlying that, we, we write, we'll have a write-up on each portfolio company. So we'll talk about, you know, their revenue growth, their cash burn, how much cash they have at any one time, what their routes to exit are. Really the health, the health of each company within the portfolio. That's, that's what you're looking at and monitoring on a regular basis. 
Exactly. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And then we'll do typical KPIs that are pertinent to the venture capital and private equity industry. And so the typical KPIs for our own industry is what we call money multiples. So how much, you know, cash did an investor put in versus, you know, how much cash he'll get out essentially. So cash on cash or the value of the portfolio company to the ratio of what the investor has invested in. We'd also look at IRRs as well. So the internal rate of return. So how quickly, you know, can we return cash to our investors is also a typical metric that we follow. How does that relate to, to revenue? You mentioned revenue and, and the predictability of, of revenue compared to industry, but also as a, as, as a key metric that you look at. And so how do you think about the importance and the weighting towards that, that revenue stream, but also the, the metrics that you just described with regards to valuation and cash out and IRR? Could you give a bit of insight as to, as to how you think about those two aspects of the, of the business? I should explain that the CFO will produce a fund set of accounts and that's that's for the investors. And then he'll also produce, he or she will also produce another set of accounts for the management company. So that's an internal set of accounts for the manager. And the revenue streams, talking about the internal revenue streams, i.e. we take a management fee for investing in the fund. So we manage the fund and we take a, a revenue stream, which is contractual, a contractual revenue stream. So the management accounts is, is, is fairly, you know, simple in the private, in the private equity venture capital world. Whereas the fund accounts are really, you know, the accounts that go to the investors that the investors want to see how are the portfolio, underlying portfolio companies operating? How, how are we investing? How are we deploying their money? in which investments and how are the portfolio companies performing and and of course you're you're not doing this alone you you have a team with you at dawn could you give a bit of insight into uh, the structure of your team i have um one fund accountant i have a corporate accountant and i have a project accountant essentially but we also, as is typical in private equity venture capital, we have administrators who help us prepare all the sort of accounts for the funds. And that's a very typical structure. So, you know, we do have quite a lot of resource at our fingertips. We generally use administrators to do that. And so that's why the management company can be fairly, fairly lean, you know, it can it, doesn't have to be a very big team because you've got a bigger team within the administration. I believe that you were the first official CFO at, at Dawn. And so was this team structure in place when you joined or was that something that you had to set up when you came in? No, I had to set it up. Yeah, it was really one person. So they brought me in, you know, Dawn, were gro- Dawn was growing. Um, they wanted someone who was very experienced in private equity venture capital and someone who had grown the finance department and scaled, scaled up with the companies before. So my task was to employ people, to build a team, to build systems and processes to help Dawn grow. And you just mentioned systems and processes there. So uh, it'd be great to dig into that a little bit more and understand a bit more about the systems and processes. Can you speak to some of the, the principal ones that, that you established and maintain? 
So the administrators have their own systems and uh, our ones use Investran. Um, but generally what happens at the management level is that we have a, a system, we, we have, the accounting system is on zero, but a lot of the reporting will be done in Excel and as particularly portfolio monitoring will be done in Excel. In venture capital, typically you have quite a lot of investments. I mean, we have about 50 investments under our umbrella and that's quite a lot of, you know, to manage within Excel. So I'm looking at a portfolio monitoring system that will allow us to track portfolio, you know, really well. The CFOs of each portfolio company can put the data into, into the system and then we can review it sort of almost quarterly or monthly. So that will allow us to have one set of data. The other thing that I've implemented is a project management tool. So, for example, when we're making investments, we have a, a whole checklist of things that we want to make sure that there's almost like a due diligence checklist or an internal checklist for our investments. I put that all on a project management tool so you can then assign tasks to people. You get email alerts if they've done it or if they haven't done it, you can follow up, you can send you can put comments in. So that's one of the things that I've implemented. And then another thing that I'm looking to implement is a forecasting and budgeting tool. And so we're, we're in the midst of implementing sort of cash flow forecasting and budgeting as well. Are you uh, evaluating any vendors in particular for the forecasting and budgeting tool? Yes, we've evaluated and we're working with Adaptive on that. So that's that's really been great. Uh, on portfolio monitoring, we're looking at a company called Dynamo. And then with a project management tool, we're using Asana. And of course, I have to um, add that with our expense, uh, a lot of our investment team will use uh, and before COVID, they were traveling quite a lot and and we gave them out Soldo cards and they were able to use the Soldo app. And that's been, you know, really good. And actually, even when we did have COVID and, and obviously people couldn't travel, they were able to use Soldo cards for items that they needed working at home. That actually became very useful. What were the sort of advantages of having that sort of system in place, which the cards and that ability to delegate spend through offering cards? What, what sort of advantages or benefits did that did that bring to, to you as a, as a CFO? It was really great because it meant that the investment team didn't have to use their own credit cards. They could use Soldo. We could top it up so we could manage, you know, how much everyone would be spending because we gave, we allocated a certain amount of spend per person and we could top that up quite easily. And then when they did spend, it was real time. We could see, you know, what they had been spending on, but also then we could also authorize things very quickly that was really helpful on both sides for us in the finance team, and but also in the investment team as well. Brilliant. Seeing as this podcast is, is sponsored by uh, Soldo, <laughs> sort of a, a good plug, but um, that's great to hear that that's an element within the finance systems that you you have in place and that you're, you're bringing into place. And some of them sound, sound quite specific to venture capital. Just sort of sw- switching slightly and, and, and thinking maybe for, for anyone who is thinking about and is interested in pursuing a career in finance or shift and perhaps shifting from having worked in industry and thinking about this as an exciting route and change of direction. What kind of advice would you give to anyone thinking about that that might want to make that shift that's currently in industry and in moving into VC? 
it can be difficult to transition actually um, into the VC private equity world if you had no exposure to it. Often what I see is that the people who come through this route have often worked for the big four or, you know, the large big 10, and they've audited typical private equity and venture capital funds. And through that knowledge, they've then gone out into working for a private equity venture capital fund. If you're working in business, just, you know, if you can do a lot of reading around around um, the subject, the BVCA is a very good website you can go to. They often do, you know, training courses. They explain private equity and venture capital. So that's really important to know. And then really it's trying to get your foot through the door by whatever means you can. You know, if you maybe go in at a bit of a junior level and work your way up, that might be a good way to do things because it is very niche and it is very different from working in business. You know, you do tend to find that the the disciplines are quite different. And the terminology, you know, even the terminology can be, you know, mind boggling, but there's a lot of quite a lot of complexity within private equity and venture capital, which you're expected to know at a senior level, but at a junior level, you know, you can learn, you can learn those. Would another route be moving into a startup scale up, growing a growing company and industry that is going through funding rounds and gaining exposure to raising capital? Obviously, working within the VC firm, that's the other side of the coin. Would that in any way enable folks to start to build the, the knowledge and skill set that potentially could give them a, a transfer into uh, into the VC finance world? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you, there are a lot of uh, VC, you know, uh, or growth funds that are start off very small the typical check sizes, they might only have funds under management of 50 million, you know, or, or 100 million. And they wouldn't necessarily be able to, you know, have a, a very experienced CFO. You know, they, they necessarily wouldn't, you know, have the, I guess, the resources to to employ a, a very, you know, a very experienced CFO. So that might be an entry level where you've proven in your field that, you know, you are a good financial accountant you understand all the basic principles of of accounting but also you know have helped businesses previously you know you're very hands-on you understand the industry so that can definitely be a foot in the door you have personal experience on of of raising a significant amount i think it was 70 million on aim could you unpack that IPO process, what that involved, what you what you went through uh, as part of raising that quite significant amount of funding for, uh, I believe it was Truefin? Yes, Truefin was a group of fintech companies and uh, we IPO'd that in February 2018. So yeah, that, I was brought in prior to that um, to help them you know, with the IPO. There's a huge amount of work, but then you also get a lot of support. So we had Deloitte as our accountants who helped us. And of course, the banks as well, Macquarie Bank, who helped us along the way as well. But yeah, there's a there's a there's a roadmap to an IPO. So there's a lot of working, you know, you have to do various sort of, I guess, milestones. So you have to look at risk and produce a whole, you know, document on risk. You have to produce a working capital report as well. And then actually you have to stress test your working capital assumptions. So that was a, a large part. 
You have to produce three years of financials, which obviously have to be audited. And then the PPM, you go involved with the PPM. So, you know, it's absolutely important that everything is verified and checked and accurate. And then obviously there's the legal aspect of, you know, doing the IPO. So you're working with the lawyers on the PPM. So it's uh, an all parties, you know, quite heavily intensive (laughs) period before the IPO. Of course, there's a roadshow. So, you know, there's all the presentations that you've got to do and answer investor queries. Any particular challenges or any particular memories of, of that process that were that were challenging that you uh, you overcame? I think it was just the sheer time scale, you know, that you have to do a huge amount in a fairly time, short time scale because you, you know when you want to IPO, so you've got to have all your ducks in a row before then. And you've got to have the right people in place as well to help you do that. What time frame are we talking about? What what sort of we did it in six months, yeah. Is there a typical sort of time frame to, to IPO? Yeah, so I th- I think really companies ought to be starting to think about the IPO process probably at least a year, if not eighteen months in advance, just so that they've got all the all the basics, you know, all the financials ready you know that all the audits have happened they've you know sort of cleansed all the data they've got their story their marketing all all the other due diligence you know questions are already as well and then the ipo process can happen as well so the systems in place to do that is is really important switching direction slightly so thinking we're at the start of the year and thinking about priorities for 2021 what what are you setting as your priorities for for this year we are um, launching our dawn opportunities too so that's one of our priorities and that will be hopefully by this end of spring and then the other priorities are really ensuring for dawn and and for the portfolio companies you know what will there's still some uncertainty obviously you know with covid and with your general economy. So really ensuring that, you know, our portfolio companies are managing their cash, their cash burn, that, you know, we're still having creative ways to look at our revenue streams, given the current environment, and really being on top of, you know, what our portfolio companies are, are, are you know, doing and helping them manage any way we can, you know, whether it's through advisors, through our network. Do you yourself and your team um, play a role of advisory in any, to any degree within the portfolio of companies? I mean, you mentioned obviously that there's a lot of monthly reporting that, that you do to ensure that there's clear visibility into the performance of all the companies within the portfolio. But do you in any way go beyond that and, and provide any advice to any of the companies within the portfolio from a finance perspective? My role, I think, is really to... If I've got any questions, I will go to the investment team and I'll, I'll say, you know, I've just noted that this revenue stream is 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 like this, or this cash burn is X. Would you mind just having a look at it and following up? You know, um, if I have a concern, then you know, I'll hi- I'll flag those or highlight those things. But it is it is my intention after we implement and and go, you know, after we've launched Dawn Opportunities too, is to start getting involved more with the CFOs in the portfolio companies 
certainly an inflection where I was. We used to ha- hold um, CFO workshops, and I think that would be really welcome here as well. I'm sure that will, you know, I'm sure other CFOs in portfolio companies often, you know, in finance, they're quite sort of lonely. They've got no one really to speak to. And I'm sure it will really help be helpful if they could speak to other CFOs of other portfolio companies. You know, what are they doing, say, example, in their marketing or sales? You know, how are they managing their overheads? You know, for example, very live topic at the moment, but office space, you know, what are people doing about office space? Are they thinking about, you know, expanding or keeping as it is, having a hot desking policy? You know, these all these things are quite live. Definitely. And and do you see any particular trends, particularly with regards to office space? Do you see, I mean, you have that vision across uh, all of these portfolio companies. And what do you see companies doing right now with, with regards to that particular challenge? All our companies are growing, you know, so and with growth, that means additional headcount. So people are looking, some companies are looking for additional space, extra space, but they, they're mindful of now, you know, the rental market and can they, you know, negotiate quite good rents for, you know, a period of time. But they're also looking at maybe, you know, sort of flexible working patterns. So does everyone need to be in the office all the time? And yeah, so there's, you know, quite innovative, innovative ways that people are looking at, using their office space and, and where pe- where teams might be, you know, do you need to recruit everyone, you know, from London or even in the UK, could you have uh, multi-jurisdiction, t- jurisdictional teams, you know, I think you, we're seeing that a lot more, especially in the software world, you know, where you might have software built, I, I don't know, in um, say somewhere like Eastern Europe, but the sales might be in the US or, or um, in London, so so it really starts to open the horizons to remote work, not just being something that people are in the vicinity of their office uh, or a commutable distance from their office, but actually changing and opening up where talent can be attracted from and that can be cross-border. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we're definitely seeing that a lot within our portfolio companies. You know, you know it's a global effort almost. <laughs> Can you think of any uh, any additional commonalities of challenges between the portfolio companies that they're you see them addressing right now or looking to address right now? I mean, you mentioned remote work and what we just discussed, but are there are there any additional ones you can you, that you're seeing? I mean, it really depends on jurisdiction, but obviously, you know, people are looking at uh, various types of funding. So clearly, obviously, you know, they'll get funding from the VC, but could they, you know, would it help to get some venture debt? Or are there any government, you know, funding loans out there? A CFO who can look at a, a, a whole array of things is missing a little bit of that as well. And then we're also seeing a, is the grab for talent and acquisition. So that's really important. You know, typically all our portfolio companies will be looking to upscale their marketing and sales effort. And so it's really important for them to find the best people. And so how how do they go about doing that? We've recently hired a head of talent, Abalon, who's joined us recently. So she's going to help the portfolio companies in in their recruitment drive. Yeah, you mentioned that companies are are looking for additional sources of, of, of funding right now as well. So as part of that, I should imagine that there is a keen eye on on cash 
and the supply of cash into the business and cash preservation. How do you see companies right now managing the challenge of levels of cash while maintaining investment into the the business and, and driving the growth? Obviously, for portfolio companies, growth is one of the key metrics, but that has to come in a, and, and be done in a very manageable way. So what do you see as in terms of the way that portfolio companies are looking at addressing that challenge right now? I think that's where, you know, the beauty of working with someone like Dawn comes in for portfolio companies, because we have very experienced investment team who've done this, you know, over and over again, and they will advise the portfolio companies on the funding rounds, when to do the next funding round and, and how much, but also help them with that with that presentations, with the funding. We do, we do an awful lot of work with portfolio companies to make sure that they are ready for that, for that next large funding round. And that then allows the portfolio companies a good cash runway to grow, to invest, possibly to do some M&A, activity. So switching back to your, 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 your role in managing the team and company culture, how do you address that? Really managing a team can take up most of, you know, a CFO's time. But the first step has got to be recruiting the right person for the job. I've recruited several people over my career. I'm readily, you know, will admit that I have made some mistakes. And that's because in the past I recruited based on just looking at their CV and how a person came across an interview. But now what I've do, I do is actually I've devised a test. So I actually test the candidates before I even interview them. And this has been a critical first step to know whether the candidate has the ability to do the task at hand. The other thing is it's important to be very you know, honest with the candidate to um, manage their expectations, to be very clear about what they will be doing. You know, I try not to oversell a, a, oversell a job. So, you know, that's the, you've got to get the recruitment right. And once you've got the right person in, then it's really having regular meetings with them, able to, you know, having an open door policy, being there to answer any queries and supporting them. I give regular feedback. Communication is very important. But I uh, must admit that, you know, during lockdown has been quite difficult, you know, running a team and, and communicating fully with them the whole time. You mentioned feedback and feedback is critical as part of a leadership role and, and managing a team. So how do you approach giving feedback? How do you, how do, you do that effectively? Or what's your methodology or framework that, that you use to provide feedback? I think it's really important that employees are trained well in the first place. So I'll often go through, you know, a piece of work and explain to them how I would approach it. That gives them comfort that they've got the tools to do the piece of work. But I'll also give them the background, which is very important if you don't give people the context for um, what you're trying to achieve. And then feedback is really just when, you know, when they produce the work, I'll walk through it with them. I'll go through with them and make suggestions as to, you know, where, you know, we can improve, how we can do things better. I think that I'd like to foster a continual, I guess, a continual learning. You know, we we have this uh, thing at, you know, in the finance department that, we can always improve. We can always, you know, make things better. We can make things more efficient. And so when you put that, you know, 
in place. It, it's like a collective responsibility almost to to improve what we do and, and how we do things. Are there particular training courses that you send your team on? There's uh, various training courses devised by the BVCA, so they'll go on can go on any training course that they would like. Really, it's driven by them. So if they're interested in something, they'll ask me, and and I'm happy, you know, to send them on training courses. So it might be a training on Excel, it might be a training on a particular a regulatory requirement, you know, whether it's ESG, whether it's tax. I will also spend a lot of time also going through various, you know, complex information and also impart, you know, my knowledge where I can. And on the training side, is that something that your team members follow once a quarter, once a month? Are they are they continuously on training? How does that sort of rhythm work? Because we're FCA regulated, we everyone we keep a training log and everyone has to put in what they've, you know, been trained on or what they've discovered or found out every quarter, any interesting, you know, highlights. So we sort of keep a log of of all that. And we also have um, quite a lot at Dawn. We have this lunch and learn sessions. So once a month, we'll invite a speaker to speak about a particular topic. Basically, everyone in, in the whole firm will can log in, dial in, log in, you know, during the lunch hour and listen to whoever the speaker is and whatever topic there is. And that's a really great way of making sure, you know, that we're all we're all um, up to speed on on various things and that we all become knowledgeable. Who are the sorts of speakers that are invited to talk on these lunch and lands? So we had an expert on the sales and marketing process. So what we called a land and expand, you know, how do you land and expand your sales and your revenue? How do you generate, you know, additional revenue? So that was the one speaker. And then we had a speaker from a law firm speak about term sheets. So that was really interesting. Yeah. So it's quite, it's quite varied, in fact, which rounds out the, the, the skill set and knowledge of the, of the, of the finance team. Exactly. Yes. And it's not just the finance team, it's a wider Dawn team as well. So we'll have a cross, cross section, cross team lunch and learn as well. Do you use a particular management framework, leadership framework, perhaps something that's structured? Um... I wouldn't say that I use a particular framework, but I have in the past read, you know, various management books or, or newsletters or styles. I think the company culture is very important in this. And I think everyone at Dawn, you know, we embrace integrity and integrity, you know, fosters a good company culture. It's important for all team members to have a voice and to voice their opinions. And, you know, they are listened to. So that's, that's also very important. As I mentioned previously, we have a diverse and inclusive culture, and that's really important to Dawn. We have a gender-balanced workforce and people from lots of different backgrounds, which makes for just a better working environment and also represents the diverse range of our founders and our investors as well. Is that something that you talk about amongst the leadership team on a relatively regular basis? Culture and how you're fostering culture really got some very articulated values that you work to imbue within the company. But do you also consciously discuss as a group how you're moving towards improving each of those particular values and and culture points? 
I think we do it by example. We, we're not sort of people who uh, will produce, you know, reams of policy or have a, a checkbox, you know, a tick box type of approach. We won't go out and say, hey, you know, we've got a, a truly diverse culture. We have a gender balanced workforce because why say it when you can do it? <laughs> We actually have amended our recruitment process so that we have now got a 50-50, you know, women to men ratio. We have gone out and sought, you know, people from different backgrounds, whether it's socioeconomic background or whether it's, you know, people from different cultures or countries. And we, we find that that's more powerful so that when we speak to our founders, they can see that you know we're we're really talking the talk i guess and you know walking the talk yeah so it's about each individual member of the leadership team taking conscious action to bring these values to life and uh, and make the changes in the in the in the right direction yeah absolutely that's right yeah Brilliant. So we're coming to the end of the podcast and uh, there's always a couple of questions that it's it's good to end so end with so um the first is, what piece of advice would you have wanted to receive when you first stepped into a CFO role? The piece of advice that I would be very important is that you should really hire the right people, get a really you know good team and strong team, and don't worry about hiring people you know who are brilliant. That's what you know you should want to do, um, and also delegate delegate effectively. But that does not mean discharging your responsibility. As a CFO, you know, you're responsible for your team. And it's really important that they they see that, that they see that you're supporting them. But ultimately, you're taking the responsibility for the output. You know, it's really important for a CFO to know, you know, what's going on. I think a good financial leader should be able to see the bigger picture as well as be in the detail. And then I think the other important thing is that don't just take what you did last year and say, okay, we'll do the same again this year. You know, think outside the box, think about how is the company going to grow and how are you going to scale the finance team to grow with it? And how are you going to adapt to various changes that inevitably come our way, you know, whether it's COVID, you know, last year, but, you know, in five years time, it might be something else. Uh, how, how are you going to adapt to that is very important. What excites you about finance business today? What do you see as some of the leading trends or is there anything particular within finance that excites you today? It's actually moving more to technology. So can you move in with the times, you know, and use technology to grow your finance department. That's really important. Everything is about data. And that doesn't have to necessarily be real-time data, but how are you using technology to extrapolate that data, to analyze the data in such a way that you're helping the company commercially or from a statutory and regulatory point of view? They're the exciting, I think, aspects of using technology right The other thing is, um, you know, obviously the world's continually changing. We're now in Brexit. So what does that mean for the UK? How how do we, you know, work with our partners abroad to still foster that, you know, global working uh, ethos? Rachida, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. 
Thank you so much. Thank you very much. One last thing. If you have a question you'd like to ask a guest, visit cfoplaybook.fm to submit it. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense with custom budgets and track transactions in real time. Connect accounting software to automate reporting, then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.